Christian Herter was running hard for re-election as governor of Massachusetts. And one day he arrived late at barbecue. He had had no breakfast, no breakfast, no lunch, no lunch, and he was famished. And as he moved down the serving line, he held out his plate and received one piece of chicken. The governor said to the serving lady, excuse me, do you mind if I get another piece of chicken? I'm very hungry. Sorry, she replied, I am supposed to get just one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, he repeated, and again she said, sir, he said, sir, one per customer. But her was normally a modest man, but he decided this was the time he was going to try and use the weight of his office. And so he looked at her and said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of the state. To which she replied, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. Well, today, we might not have, I don't think we have any governors in here. We may have some ladies in charge of chicken, I don't know. But we're going to figure out, we're going to try and find out who we are in Christ. We're going to talk about identity today. And the title of my sermon is, Be Who You Already Are. Now, if I just stopped right there, I wanted to put in Christ in parentheses, because if I just stopped with Be Who You Already Are, it sounds like a motivational speech or a, a secular, a new age type of thing. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you already are. So, so. This really, this, this, this idea of identity, it's something that our nation and our culture um, very recently has become absolutely obsessed with. You know, it's interesting, when you look historically at identity, identity uh, in traditional cultures especially, they were not individualistic, they were communal. In identity, in traditional cultures, it was primarily formed through your familial relationships, it was formed, it was through, um, you know, if you look through the Bible, it's, um, you know, David, son of... Uh, Solomon, you know, David, there was this familial connection to who you were, who you are, who you are. And so, um, or so I guess Solomon, son of David, is one of the relationships said there. But it's, it's this familial relationship, right, is how you identify. And so, so it was very common to fulfill that role by serving the community, by setting aside your individualism to serve the greater community and the greater body. In the West, it's completely the opposite here, right? It's, it's totally the opposite. Our culture teaches people to look inside themselves. Don't find your identity from anyone else or anything else. Look inside yourself to find your identity and decide who you want to be, and then use your identity to serve yourself. We reject the notion that anyone outside, any external force, could define or should define who we are. And then once you find it, once you find it, like I said, you use that to serve yourself. So you have to, it's just this, this, this battle between finding yourself within the community to serve the community or leaving the community so that you can find yourself and serve yourself. So those are kind of the two ideals, the two uh, philosophies that, that have um, battled against each other over the years. Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, as well as many others, have pointed out this fact. In fact, uh, Tim Keller actually several years ago pointed this out. In traditional cultures of the past, people would make a living and procreate in order to build community. In our culture today, we make a living, we procreate in order to find our individual identity. I see the subtle difference there. Why do I say all this? Why does this even matter? Because before we get into anything, I first want you to understand that culturally, we are at a disadvantage. The things that the Bible describes for its time period, and for its people, that the things that they value, that the community, community, familial identity, these things are, are rejected in our culture today. And so the things that I'm going to teach today from Scripture are considered by secular society to be outdated, to be outdated even offensive to some people. That, that God would define my identity is offensive to this culture. But the worst part, I think, is that there are many, many, many American Christians, and I would include myself in this, um, who profess Christ, yet allow for culture to tell me who I am. And in my opinion, this is a significant factor in the decline of the family, the decline of the family structure, because identity is foundational. Identity is foundational not only to who we are, but to who our churches will become, to who our communities will become, to who our cities will become, and to who our nation will become. 
And so this, this whole idea of identity it matters. It's important. Who you are and what you believe about yourself will always dictate your attitude and your actions and behaviors. What you, who you think that you are, who you believe you are, is always going to bleed into what you believe into what you do. The identity crisis in our nation is a result of people looking to their own feelings to determine their identity. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that my feelings are unstable. My feelings are inaccurate. The feelings that I had as a teenager are not the feelings I have today. The feelings I had as a 20-year-old are not the feelings I had as a 30-year-old. And the feelings I have now as a 42-year-old are not the feelings I had as a 30-year-old. And what I've realized about myself is that when I was in my 20s, I thought that my teenage self was stupid. And when I got to my 30s, I thought that my 20-year-old self was stupid. And now that I'm in my 40s, I look back at my 30-year-old self and think, so really the moral of the story is we're not very smart. We're kind of stubborn people, people. And we think we know, and we don't actually know. And we change, and we shift, and emotions affect our feelings, and they're inaccurate, and they're unstable. And so to say, I'm going to base the foundation of who I am on how I feel is really not a good idea. But in society today, it is nearly impossible to escape the individualistic, emotional identity crisis that is just peddled around every corner. Look to you inside to yourself to find who you are. That's the mantra that's played out time and time again. And I say all this because I want you to understand two things. Number one, your identity cannot be defined by anyone or anything outside of God, outside of our creator. And I can defend that point. I'm not going to because it will turn into a philosophical sermon. I want it to be a practical sermon. But if you if you want to talk more about that, I would love to talk more about that after service. That's number one. Your identity cannot be defined by anyone or anything outside of God. And number two, who you believe you are has a much greater effect on your life than you realize. When you look at Jesus' teachings, when you look at his language, when you look at how he interacted with humans, when you read it in scripture, you find he was deeply concerned with building a new creature, a new heart, a new mind, a new temple, in those who wish to follow after him. And in order to do that, what had to happen is the building, if you're going to build, if you have a bad foundation at your house, what has to be done? What structure's got to be torn down? It's got to be torn all the way down so that you can lay a new foundation and build a new creation, a new creature. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we search your word, search your word, that we would find truth, that we would find practicality. I pray that you would both convict us and encourage us. God, I pray, I pray that as we think about who we are, that we would allow Scripture to dictate, to inform, to correct, to encourage us into the identity that you prepared for us. You know, you created us, God. You know who we are and who you called us to be. God, I pray that we would engage with your word on a deep level. I pray that all of us would live here different than how we came in. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to open up the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians has a lot to say about identity. And if you were in Sunday school, you got to hear uh, Jay did a phenomenal job of giving a lot of the background of the book of Ephesians. Um, he talked about how it was a very influential church. Um, it was a very influential city. It was about the same size as Fort Wayne, population-wise. Um, and he talked about and he talked about how Ephesians chapters one through three really tell the gospel story, and they really talk about who the church is, who the, is the church who, call, who, is the, who is God called the church to be, to be. Through him, through Christ. And so I want to dig into that. And I want to start um, by just giving you kind of an overview. I'm going to take a few snapshots from Ephesians 1, from Ephesians 2, and from Ephesians 3. And we get, we're going to get a good summary of what those three chapters, what Paul is trying to get at in those three. So, so in Ephesians 1, Paul is encouraged, he's encouraging the church to trust in their new identity in Christ. And right at the beginning, Ephesians 1, verse, starting in verse 3, he writes this. He writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The IVP commentary summarizes this verse like this. 
It says, God did not act in a purposeless way, but has a destiny in mind for us. To be adopted as sons, I would say, also as daughters, articulates the intention behind God's actions. God has an intention. He is intentional about who we are, who he wants us to be. He's intentional about giving not only individuals, but his congregation and identity. He's intentional. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Paul writes that God raised us up and cracked us up, that we are his workmanship. If you want the, the best ten verses in my opinion, the best ten verses on the gospel, articulate the gospel, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we read it down in Sunday school. Phenomenal articulation. If there's someone who says, I want to know what the gospel is all about, I want to know what Jesus is all about, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Those ten verses are so solid. And, and what, what Paul's talking about here is that we are his workmanship, that we were created for good works, which he prepared in advance for us. These are... These are identity language, foundational language. And then in Ephesians 2, 19, he writes this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. See that? Notice that identity piece right there. You're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We talked about this Sunday school too. We were once alienated, strangers on the outside, outside Gentiles. Paul's saying, no, now you're resting on you have a new identity. You're part of the family. You're part of the household of God. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who I am. You're in God's family through Jesus. Family through Jesus. Then we get to Ephesians 3. I'm going to summarize Ephesians 3. For Paul, he wants them to understand the great length and the great height and the great, great breadth of the love that God has for them. All of this language that we read in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, it's all rooted in our identity, who we are in Christ. It's a big part of it. And I think that Paul spends a lot, spends a lot of a lot of ink on this because it's so important and it's so foundational. But Paul's not the only one who talks about this. In fact, we see we see um, um, Jesus Jesus battle some identity stuff early in his ministry. This is the place identity where strongholds form. Like I said, it's foundational. So really, if Satan can get a hold of your identity, if he can get a foothold into who you are, it affects everything else down the line. It affects what you do. It affects uh, the congregation, the community that you're a part of, it affects the church, it affects so many other, it's a domino effect, okay? okay? So, even before Jesus began his ministry, in Matthew 4, when he's, the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert, into the wilderness, and in Matthew 4, 3, he says this, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, come in these stones to become loaves of bread. Okay, we focus on, uh, Jesus is going to fight this, because the word of God, right? We know that, he's going to answer with scripture, and we focus on, a lot of times, the stones into the bread, but look at the very first part of it, if you are the Son of God, what is he doing? He's questioning Jesus' identity. If you're really the Son of God, then prove it, Jesus. Do this to prove it. And it sounds really good, but it's, it's a trap, right? He's questioning his identity. He does it three verses later. Same thing. Same thing. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple because angels will lift you up. Angels will rescue you if you're the Son of God. Jesus doesn't need to prove to Satan that he's the Son of God. He already knows it. He, already knows it. he doesn't need to prove it to anyone. He knows who his Father is. He knows who he is. He knows why he came. Jesus was able to see Jesus. Now, if we back up one chapter, this is what I love. We back up one chapter in Matthew 3. When Jesus is baptized, what does God say to him? What is the, there's a, there's a voice that they hear as Jesus is baptized. God says, God says, this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. I love. My son, my son, whom I am well pleased. So you have Matthew 3, the backbone, the foundation. This is my son. This is who he is. I love him. I'm well pleased. He hasn't even done anything yet. He showed up. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Very next chapter. If you're the son of God, prove it. Prove it. You think that's a coincidence? That's a coincidence. All about identity. It's all about foundation. Jesus knew who he was. And it allowed him to have the wisdom and the discernment not to be led astray 
by Satan's tricks. Satan's tricks. What we're discovering here is that you can't do anything for God until you first know who you are. We all want to do great things for God. And we all focus on what we're doing. I was just talking with a fellow believer, a young person. This person's in their 20s. And the first thing I was asking them about their relationship with God, the first thing that they said is, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough for God. We focus on doing enough. We focus on, we don't feel like I'm living right now. I don't think I'm doing enough. What about focusing on who we are? Do we do that? Do we think about who we are in Christ? Because what you do is going to be completely affected and directed by who you are. And so this is what we're discovering is that you can't do anything for God and do anything. You've got to know who you are. And not just know it, not just, not just know it, but believe it so strongly that it influences your attitude and your thought life and your decision making and your behaviors. All of your behaviors, all is foundational, like I said earlier, like I said earlier. And so we have Ephesians 1, I'm going back to Ephesians. So we have Ephesians 1 through 3, right? Identity, who you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Paul gets to Ephesians 4. There's a big therefore, as Jay said, uh, down in Sunday school. And this is where Paul's going to shift from who we are to now what we do. So he, he writes this in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain, we attain sorry, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we, why? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So because, so because we are loved, because we are forgiven, because we're children of God, because we're part of God's family, redemption, redemption, redemption sets the stage for mission. To equip the body for the work of ministry. You know, I find it interesting. It doesn't say there to build, to love, and, and convince sinners to join our church. Now, that is a part of being a church, but the primary reason for who you are, the giftings that you have, is to build up the body of Christ. That's what he's saying here. Paul's connecting this thought, and he's connecting them, Almost like he's answering a child, you know, like a, a child who just asks why to everything. So, so who are we? We're loved and forgiven by God. Why? So that we can be holy in his sight. Why? So that we can be adopted as his children. Why? So that we can use our gifts for his glory. Why? So the church can be expanded and strengthened. Why? So that all of us can become mature followers of Christ. Why? Why? To complete the redemptive plan that God had, had for his people from the very beginning. From the very beginning. It all comes full circle. But what does it start with? What's the first domino that has to get to know who we are in Christ? Now, Paul talks a lot about in Ephesians 4. There's this idea of congregational maturity. He's using the plural form of, the, of these, these, uh, these, uh, these words that he's using. These words are the plural form. So he's talking corporately. He's talking about the identity of the church and the maturity of the church. And so when we think about it, you know, what, what do uh, complete immature believers do? Well, they form complete immature congregations. And I think that th this is what he's getting at. Yes, there is an aspect of their individual identity. But really, he wants the church to know and understand their corporate identity. Because we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we come together with all of our different giftings. Each one of us is a different part of the body that serves together and functions as the full body of Christ. All the parts working together, right? And the purpose of this is why so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every means of doctrine and deceitful schemes. And so what we discover here is that a healthy identity leads to a healthy community, which leads to a healthy maturity, which becomes the backbone of almost like titanium, this titanium backbone that's not going to waver in when you face storms, when you face uh, false doctrine, when you face temptation, when you face crafty, deceitful schemes from the enemy. From the enemy. You are going to have perseverance. You're going to have wisdom. And you're going to have discernment. Why? Because you know who you are. Because you are Christ. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul writes this, verse 25. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. We are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here we see a mixture of individual traits as well as community traits. And what Paul's really trying to say here is, look, the church is only as mature as the individual members. When you allow for the enemy to drive a wedge into your identity, as Paul would write here, give the devil an opportunity. That foothold has the ability to not only disrupt you personally, but to disrupt the mission of God's church. And we're seeing this happen, I think, in, in, our, in our country today, right now. People have denied their identity in Christ for their identity of their preferred preference, and the church has compromised on sound doctrine, and the church has lost its mission of putting the saints to the fullness of maturity. You can see how this affects down the road, down the line, how mature the church is going to be. If the enemy can distort our identity, if he can distort our place in God's family through Christ, and he can distort the mission, he can distort the unity, he can disrupt the maturity of God's church. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing today. So what can we do about it? What do we do about this from an individual perspective? Because, because trace it back, it really comes down to us knowing individually who we are in Christ. And if you hear nothing else on this sermon, this is what I want you to hear this morning. If, if I have a sin problem, if I have a sin struggle, a repetitive sin struggle, the core issue is not resolved by my own willpower. It is not resolved by a knowledge of rules, a knowledge of God's law. We saw that that doesn't work in It is not resolved by me trying to muster up more faith. Your people say that in the church. Just, just need more faith. Just need more faith. The core issue is resolved by changing who I am. And the only person that can do that is Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit. Not me. Not you. Now we participate. We, participate. we come alongside. Come along. It's not saying you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. But we do not have the willpower to change our hearts. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. And so, so I hope that you're you're coming to this realization of how important our identity is. It's so important. Who we are in Christ is so important to not only our mission, but the church's mission overall. And I want to, Brian, if you can bring up that, um, for those of you that are visual, I want to give a, a little a little kind of graphic here. So the difference between strongholds, lies, and biblical identity and lies. Your identity comes from what you do. I've believed this before about myself. My identity is what I do. That's who I am. The truth is your identity comes from what God has done, from what Christ has done. Second, when your identity comes from what others think, this is so easy to fall into. The truth is, your identity comes from what God is. He's the only one that matters. He's the one that created you. He's the one that knows. He's the one that knows. You are a sinner because you still sin. I want to be careful on this one. Because I think that we we do still sin. We're not perfect. But the Bible calls us saints. The Bible says that because of Christ, the righteousness in Christ puts us in God's family as saints. We still struggle with sin. Do you view yourself that way? Honestly. Really. Honestly. Really. Do you view yourself as a saint? And it's not because of anything that you've done. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. You always say, I feel unworthy. That's okay. Christ did the work. Because of him, you're in God's family. Because of him, you're a saint. You're a saint. I don't always believe that about myself. And this last one is the one that I really feel probably the most passionate about. Your behavior informs what you believe about yourself. That's the lie. Because the truth of Scripture is what you believe about yourself is what has to inform your behaviors. Let me give you an example of this last point. We need to change our mindset from, I can't do that because God said that it's a sin. I can't do that because it's against God. We need to change from that kind of a mindset to, I don't want to do that because that's not who I am. Now, if, if that's a core part of who you are, 
you can have, you can have, you can change, you can change through the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about when you allow God to define who you are, He changes who you are. And now I don't want to do those things. I don't want to participate in those kinds of things. Uh, Jay was talking about this down in Sunday school. About you know about people that he knows who they ask him like go do something that go do something that no that's not who I am that's not who I am I'm not gonna go do that I'll go do that I'll do this other thing with you but I'm not going to do that that's not who I am that's not who I am it's not who God created me to be God created me to be how how can we get to that point get to that point well that's what heart change is changing who we are changing who we are allowing God to change who we are now I don't want to treat the the issues of identity I don't want to treat this as casually or flippantly I don't want to oversimplify it because this is a lifelong process I have learned you know talk about who I was, like, as a teenager, 20s, 30s, 40s, I think that I have finally got to a point where I'm just starting to understand who I am in Christ in my 40s. So it's, it's a lifelong process. But I want to give you a few practical points. I want to give you three practical points. If you have discovered man, I have focused so much on what I do. I have defined myself by what I do. And I want to, I want to change that. I want to change my mindset and allow my mind to be renewed through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And focus on who I am in Christ. What are some things that I can do that will help me to get there? Here are three things I'm going to give you. Number one, repent. 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 Of putting your trust and your faith in something that really isn't you. It doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. You don't have to live under the, the, the false spiritual strongholds anymore. You don't have to live under a false identity anymore. That's not you. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. That's not you. Jesus knew that you were going to do those things. And he died for you. While you were still a sinner. He says you're a saint. He says you're a saint. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but the identity is what's going to fight sin. Knowing who we are and believing it, and living it is what's going to stop us from going back down that step. Back down that step. And just like a loving father appreciates his children, I so much appreciate when my children come to me and tell me the truth. Tell me, they're scared or they're worried about something that they that they made up. Bad choice. And they come to me and they talk. I love that. God's the same way. You know, we think that when we make bad choices, when we do something or we relapse, we read that God doesn't want anything to do with us anymore. No, that's the time to go to Him. God's never going to let us down in His truth. His word is absolute truth. So why would we seek our identity if we seek anything else from anyone else? He created us. He created us. So number one is repent. Repent of seeking your identity from anyone or anything else. Number two, renovate. Some of us need to cut off the source of whatever is feeding the false identity. They need to renovate our, our life. Whether that's the people you hang around with, whether that's the things that you watch or listen to, whether that's even your daily habits and priorities, we've slipped into the patterns of allowing culture to tell us who we are. Instead of allowing scripture and God to tell us who we are. Look, this is why I love book groups, because it's a chance to surround yourself with people who are going to speak into your identity in Christ. People who are going to support you when you relapse and encourage you and hold you accountable. It's also a way for you to use your God-given ability, your God-given identity, to serve others. So, number one, repent. Number two, renovate. Number three, resist. Ah, it's so hard. It is so hard to resist the lies of identity because he, he tells half-truths. And he knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly what's going to lead us back into relapse. But you know, Jesus knew who he was. He was so confident in who he was as God's son. That he was able to resist Satan's attempt to unhinge him from the Father, to unhinge him from his true identity. And that resistance cannot be rooted in our own thoughts. That resistance has to be rooted in the Word of God, just like it was with Jesus. He fought it with the Word of God. He resisted it with the Word of God, the Word of truth. And Paul goes on. You know, this is what's so beautiful about Ephesians. Is he's talking in chapters 1 through 3 about identity, and then he's talking about what we do in chapter 4, and a little bit in chapter 5. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he's talking about resist. He's talking about the, the weapons. This is the, the spiritual, the, the armory of God chapter. Ephesians 6. This is how we fight. This is how we resist. Because we know who we are in Christ. Here's the weapons now that he gives us to fight the strongholds, to fight the deceit and Satan's lies that he's going to try to bring against us to distort our identity. And if you need a reminder of how to resist, read Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to give you those, those tools. 
look, my hope and prayer for each one of you today is that you would allow who you are to be so intimately defined by Jesus, that it transforms you from the inside out. Embracing that new identity, the way God sees it, because of what Jesus has done, is the key to maturing our faith. If you want to mature in your faith, you've got to start with who you are. And you've got to believe it so strongly that it becomes a part of you. That it becomes who you are and what you do. And that it guides you. And it guides you. It's also the key to having a church body that is mature, that is mature and that is fulfilling their identity as a congregation. Jesus has an identity for this church body. He has a mission for us. And in order to do that, we have to trust in our true identity. Let me close in prayer. I'll turn it over to Delisha. Father, I just pray that we would set aside the lies that we believed about ourselves. God, they aren't true. Yes, we still struggle, and we will, and we will. But God, you don't see us that way in Christ. Christ has covered the sin, and when you look at us, you see his righteousness. Our record has been wiped clean. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as you see us. To not only just know it, but to live it. To allow it to guide our thought life, our actions, our churches. Churches, Lord, you know the identity crisis that exists right now in this nation. Help us to reclaim our identity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.